0: Good morning, everybody. I want to add my greeting to those that have greeted you already this morning. Welcome this morning. We're closing off our um, series on the Psalms this morning, and I changed the, the Psalm I'm going to preach on the Psalm 91 because it is a personal Psalm for me or a Psalm that really has made an impact on my life. Um, and I've hear, heard this morning that some of you also feel the same way. We feel in our lives sometimes that uh, life just is going to overwhelm us um, at times. It's like we're in this big storm, in the middle of a raging storm, and we wonder, does God really care for us? Is he really present? I mean, is God really the person who's going to help us? Have you ever had that experience where life has just seemed so overwhelming? It may be there right now. Perhaps the wars in the Ukraine or getting on your mind or in in, um, Israel. Uh, Perhaps the rising interest rates are making it harder for you to pay your bond. Perhaps there's uncertainty in your marriage. Uh, Perhaps there's uncertainty in your family, uh, in your job, in your parenting, in your health. This Psalm 91 speaks into that for us this morning. And I trust this morning we will have an encounter not only with God's word, but with God himself as he encounters you, perhaps in a way this morning. That's my expectation for each of you this morning, that you will encounter him in a way that only he knows. This psalm, as I said, for me is a special psalm, Psalm 91. It's a psalm that talks about God being our refuge. I remember um, uh, back in 2015, the the start of 2015, and every year um, as part of my routine for the year, I, I spent time with God on January the 1st, pray about the year, pray, you know, set some goals like most of us do. But I just, as I, as I read this psalm, for some reason it just sank really deep into my heart. It was like God was speaking to me. I've had uh, occasions like that in my life, but this was one of those times it was very clear. And it was as if God was saying to me, Ray, this year ahead of you is going to be very different. Just trust me, Okay. And I thought, okay, you know, normal life. I was working for BHP Billiton at that stage. And I'd been involved with a project that we were working with the frontline teams, helping them understand what was good, the levers they could pull to to change the business outcomes of the mine. But God had really impressed on my heart that something was going to change. And in in April, this began to take some shape. We were told that we had to reduce the staff on the mine um, by 25%. We had to save Um, $600 million, uh, 100-odd of that in labor cost per annum, right? And so we had to restructure the mine. This is a big mine, as you can understand. And I was put on that team to help with the restructure. And uh, I knew my job was, because I'd stepped out of my role, my job was going to be gone. I had nothing to go back to, so I had to find something to go to if I was going to stay with BHP Billiton. But in in my heart, it was like God was saying, don't worry, I've got you, I've got you, just trust me. And uh, we went into into this restructure, and and I remember the first, uh, there were some very senior people at the mine, and the the head of production and all of the general managers reported to this person. And he said, don't worry, Ray, you're doing a great job. When this is all over, we'll find a job for you. Uh, Then another general manager said, don't worry, Ray, you're doing a great job. We like you. We'll we'll find a space for you. They were the first two people to be retrenched, right? Uh, The first two people to go, Ray, we'll take care of you. They were like one of the first to go. Um, God, what are you up to? Um, we'd been praying, Miriam and I, our girls were still at school then. We'd been praying and saying, well, perhaps in Australia we'd still like to do some ministry, some pastoral ministry, and maybe when the girls are out of school, we'll do that. But through that year, God began to shape my life. And you can imagine as a man with a, young, with a family that got bills to pay, uh, you're, you're having the prospect of having no job to go to, just going, I'm okay with that. And uh, some of the men were asking me, Ray, how are you going with that? And I said, I'm okay with that. They said, really? Most men and I would have been freaking out normally. but It is like I had this anchor in my soul that God had given me. Don't worry, trust me. And that's how I ended up in ministry in Harvey Bay. Paradise on earth, thank you, God. And I'm looking forward to the next step that you have for me, God, whatever that would be. There's a few ways we can interpret Psalm 91, and we'll read this in a moment, but it's important that we just understand this first. Psalm 91 tends to talk about these big things that God will do for us. And so we can take the psalm very literally, and we can say, literally, God's going to save us from every trial and tribulation, that nothing is going to hurt us, nothing's going to harm us, that people will fall to our left and, and right, but we will be fine and there'll be no problem. So that's one way to interpret the psalm. But we know life is not like that. We even know, as we read in this psalm, that, that uh, it talks about God rescuing us in trouble. We know that Jesus didn't have a life like that, a trouble-free life. So we know life is not like that. So what other options do we have? Well, the other option is we can say, well, this is symbolic. It means God is generally looking after you. Generally, you'll be okay. And and so that's another way we can do it. The third way we can do it is we say it's all in the future. It's all when Jesus comes back we will all be good and everything will be good. The question we have is which one of those do we choose? And really, the the answer to that is really, we don't really need to choose. There's a tension in all of those. In the sense that the psalm speaks to us and says, sometimes in your life, you will know God has got you for this moment and will be rescuing you in this moment. At other times, if he doesn't do that, that generally he's got you, generally you're going to be okay. And also then it looks to the future and says, one day when Jesus returns and everything is reset, you will be okay. Okay. And so there is that tension that we hold in this psalm. And it's okay to sit with that tension. It's okay to hold that. Let's read this as we go through this. And I want you to see that Psalm 91 is not like an insurance policy, that nothing will ever go wrong with you. It's more about who is with you in that moment. So let's read Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, I will say of the Lord He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I've highlighted four words there in yellow. they're all words for God. They're all different words. He's, what are these words? Well, the, the one is the most High El-elYon." The other one is "God is uh, Almighty, um, and the other one is the, He's the Lord, Yahweh." Where did these names come from? The first word, there, most high, El Elyon, was, was when when Abraham uh, first learned this about God. His nephew, um, Lot, had, had he'd gone to live in Sodom and Gomorrah, his nephew, and then there were four kings. And in those days, kings were like rulers of cities. Four kings came and invaded that area and, and, and took Lot and, and, and his family captive and and took Sodom and Gomorrah and, and, and the other kings that were in that area, took that all captive and, and took um, Abraham's, Lot, uh, Abraham's nephew Lot was taken off into captive, and somebody came and said to him, "Lot has been taken." So Abraham rallied his family. His, the Bible says he has more than three hundred able-bodied fighting men in his greater family. I don't know how was that possible, but maybe he had lots of slaves, and the sons were born, etc. So he took on these four kings. Can you imagine that? And he uh, overcame them and got Lot back, and Lot was restored. And so then Abraham was walking along and this priest came out and they call him Melchizedek and we don't know much about him and we read about him in Hebrews again. And this, this priest, the priest of God Most High, says to him, blessed be Abraham by God Most High. He uses the word Elyon. This Most High God who you, you, Abraham, have come to learn about. You've come to learn that he's greater than these four kings. He's greater than the opposition you may face. You've learned about him through experience. The other word, Almighty, where did that come from? Well, also with Abraham um, when when he was childless and God showed up to him and God promised him and said to him, I I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And God made a covenant with him. So even in, in the difficulty of his life, God said to him, I am Almighty, I'm El Shaddai. Then the word Yahweh, where did that come from? It was Moses at the burning bush. Moses was an 80-year-old man tending sheep. He thought he was going to be this great leader. Uh, He was raised as a prince in in Egypt. He thought he was going to lead his his people, the Jews, out of captivity at age 40. He tried to do that. He was banished. He had to flee, flee into the desert. And for 40 years, he looked after sheep, not even his own sheep, in the back end of the desert. And God shows up and says, I am who I am. I'm Yahweh. Even the word Elohim, which is a general word, my God, in whom I trust at the end of that verse. Elohim is a general word for God. It's even got this preposition on the front. He's my God. I want you to notice, friends, that those four words were words that people discovered in the doing of life. The names of God were names that people learned in the middle of real life. It wasn't some book that you could read, like there is a book, A Hundred Names of God. It wasn't a book back in those days, and they go, okay, which name of God shall I pick? God showed up for them in what they were going through and said, here's a name I want to show you, I want to give you, a name that demonstrates who I am. So I want to ask you a question as you sit there. What name has God taught you this year? What has life taught you about God this year? What name comes to mind that you would go, this is where I'm at, and I think God is teaching me this, and that's something about him that I'm learning. And here's a couple of names up on the slide for you. I couldn't put a 100 on a slide. I want you to pause and look through those names. to think about what God has been teaching you this year. About Him. I'm going to give you a few moments to do that. There's a name I didn't put up on there, and this is a name for the young blokes in the audience. I I love this name of God, Yahweh Sabaoth, which means God of the angel armies. Now, isn't that a great great name for God if you're a young bloke? God of the angel armies. But which name here stands out for you? I was going to give you some time to tell your neighbor next to you which name has stood out for you. But we'll leave that for a later stage. Perhaps you want to do that after the service. Because, friends, here's the reality. When we come on a Sunday to hear about God, it's not just about God in a book that was written 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. This God wants to encounter you this morning in your life. Use this psalm to speak to you. What name stands out for you? Maybe it's not on that list. What is God saying to you? The psalm goes on then to say, and we've read this verse already, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. The word dwell means to settle down. It means to inhabit. The word, when it says you're my refuge, and my, the word refuge means, means a cave. Fortress means the stronghold. Metsuda. Maybe you've heard of Masada. You're my dwelling, you're my refuge, you're my den, you're the place I belong, almost my happy place. The thought caught me very clearly as I was preparing this, that I remember hiking in the mountains in South Africa, and between South Africa and the mountain kingdom of Lesotho, there there's these high mountains, they're not as high as the European mountains, but they get to about 3,000 meters. And the Zulu name for them means the barrier of spears, Kwaslamba. And, and literally you, it's like this big formidable barrier in front of you to get to the mountain kingdom of Lesotho. And you can be hiking up in these mountains, and it looks beautiful, and, and you're probably at 2,000 meters where this was taken and 3,000 meters where the, the peaks are. And you'll be hiking, and that would be brilliant. But if you know about hiking in the mountains, and you would know it from hiking in New Zealand, is that the weather can turn like this. And storms in the mountains can be horrific. And here's a picture of perhaps of a a storm that's happening um, in this very place. Um, You can see these peaks. And a storm will come out of nowhere. And I remember very clearly hiking up in the mountains. And we could see the storm coming. And we could feel the storm coming. And you know how lightning can be up in those mountains. In fact, one of those peaks, Cathedral Peak, the one in the middle, we were up on top of that. It wasn't This picture was taken. We were on top of that, and it was a storm in that distance. And as we walked, we, the, the, there was actually you could hear the sparks jumping between your, your feet and the, and the rock face. And we knew we how to get off that mountain. It's like this energy was just being charged up. And we came off that mountain not this one in that that hike, but we came off the mountain and, and the storm was coming and there was this little cave that we stepped into and then the heavens just opened and the water just came down like a wall of water. We were standing in that cave just watching it coming down in front of us, safe and secure. God is my refuge. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High he goes on to say in verse 4 and 5, Surely he will save you from the foulest snare. Here it he starts to talk about God using this descriptive language of how God comes to our aid. He will save you from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. There's a sense of strength about God. There's a sense of, of being like God is like this, this bird covering you and you're in this nest. He's looking after you. Verse 5 and 6 says you will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday. Verse 7 and 8. And I'm going to read through this quickly and then camp toward the end of this psalm. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, verse 9, the Lord is my refuge. There's that word again. And you make the most high your dwelling. There's that word again. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. How do we understand this? I want to flick to the New Testament. When Jesus uses two words in the New Testament, he uses the one word in John 15 where he talks about abiding in him, remaining in him. It's like this cat snuggling into this, this, this just this beautiful Woolen, whatever it's in, right? Uh, Dwelling in him, uh, taking strength from him, lodging with him, staying with him, being present. When Jesus says, abide in me, it's what we call a present participle. It says, the one who is remaining in me continually as a way of life, as a choice you make, that person will bear fruit. And remember, Psalms is all about bearing fruit. It's about this prosperous life. The one who's remaining in God will, their life will bear fruit over time. At times it will look like it's not, but it will bear fruit over time. And then Jesus says something similar in a similar idea in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The context for this was the Pharisees were were teaching people that there is this yoke of the law that you have to maintain. 613 laws that you have to maintain if you want to know God, if you want to be with God, if you want to have any chance of getting to heaven. 613 laws. Here's that yoke, the yoke of the Torah. Jesus is saying, no, there's a better way. The yoke of relationship with God the yoke of knowing Jesus Christ, the yoke of, of, of walking with him and, and him and him saving you and he's full of grace and mercy and compassion. And Jesus says, take that yoke on you. This other one will, will burden you and weary you. You won't know how to figure out life. He says, take on my life. Follow me. I'm your example. I've paid for you. I will lead you. Take that on you. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are mine. See, this psalm in the New Testament, friends, if I can sum up this psalm in the New Testament, that you can be completely confident that God has you in his loving grip because you are connected to Jesus. There is a sense of confidence that I get knowing that Jesus was a historical figure. Some people argue that he wasn't, but most people would say he was. The sense of confidence that he actually walked this earth. The sense of confidence that when I encountered him for the first time, my life changed. And I've been speaking and, and journeying with, uh, as Amora has been journeying with somebody who's not yet a Christian, I've been journeying with somebody reading the Bible every week with him. who's become a Christian in this church in April. Some of you would know him. Uh, he was baptized as well. And he would say the life change in him has been remarkable. And you go, well, how does that work? Well, it's God doing this work. And it's because we're connected to Jesus. And we're following Jesus. He gives us this life if we choose it. It goes on in that Psalm, says, verse 11 and 12, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I wonder if we realize how many times God has actually rescued us. I can think of three times very specifically in my life when I said, God help me, and God, God literally rescued me. My father can talk about some things when he couldn't see it, but he was in some very dangerous situations. His life could easily have been taken. And the next thing, the people who were trying to murder him, they had this big shock on, they had this big shock on their face, these big eyes, and they ran off. And later on, they came and they said to him, who was that big person standing next to you? My dad said, there's no one. They said, no, there was this big person, big person standing just behind you. He said, no, there's no one. Billy Graham says this, we face dangers every day of which we're not even aware. Often God intervenes on our behalf through the use of angels. And even the book of Hebrews will tell us angels are ministering spirits sent to you. Verse 90 Psalm 91 goes on to say, You will tread on the lion and the cobra, you will trample on the great lion and the serpent. Verse 14 On a bit. Because he loves me, says the Lord. Notice how the psalm changes from the person talking about God and that God's talking. This is prophetic through the psalmist. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him or her. I will protect him or her for he acknowledges my name. In the Hebrew language, when you talk about a person's name, it embodies all of who they are, their character. You've learned something about God. And God is saying, you acknowledging that I'm present in your life. When you thought about that name, perhaps that, that has been important for you this year, and I hope you'll tell somebody else about it, you're acknowledging that. And God says, because you love me, because you have an affection to me, because you're connected to him. Because you've made a decision. There's that word in the word love. is this decision to make. A decision to be bound to God. You have made that decision. Because He loves you. Because you love God. He will rescue you. Because you acknowledge His name. I can't but not pause to think about the generations that have gone before us. All the way from Adam and Eve, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Ruth and Moses and Solomon and Mary, all the way to you. The God of the heavens He's dealt with people in the past, but he wants to make it personal to you. Because you love him, he will rescue you, he says, because you acknowledge his name. Once again, your friends, I believe you can be completely confident that God has you in his loving grip because you are connected to Jesus. Because you love him. Verse 15 and 16, as I close now, he will call on me and I will answer him. He will be, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. See, friends, the psalm begins to move our hearts and minds to a place of trust in God. It secures that for us. It secures our love for God because it reminds us that we are bound to him. We are his family and he will care for you and for me and for his family. What the psalm does is it slows me down from making hasty decisions in a hurry that often get me into trouble. Right? I know, Ray, you go too quickly. And those decisions get me into trouble, right? Because I've just gone too quick. And perhaps the blessing God would have for me was perhaps a little bit short-circuited. Because I just had waited. But friends, the psalm reminds us that we are fundamentally loved and of worth to God. And you are honored. You are His And so it helps us not to look for love in the wrong places that will only end up hurting us. The psalm calls us to find our satisfaction in God first, not in possessing something or having something that we foolishly believe will make us happy. So how does this work? Well, firstly, as we've been saying throughout the series, this psalm, these psalms are songs of Jesus. They're songs that Jesus sang. They they sang very often. Uh, Jesus quoted from them. The, the book is quoted from the most often. But if you really look at Psalm ninety-one, this is this is really a psalm of how the Father rescued Jesus. Firstly, it's like Jesus was saying, "I and the Father, we, I, you know, I love the Father. You know, I, I watch to see what the Father is doing." It's like Jesus and the Father were so connected. And he was trusting the Father to save him from whatever people were doing and could do to him. But he laid down his own life by saying, Father, I'll do your will. And and what people do to me would lead to the ultimate salvation of all mankind. It's like the Father saying to Jesus Christ, something will happen. You're going to go to the cross. Even Moses and Elijah warned him, but you will be okay. I'm going to raise you from the dead. No harm will come to you or overtake you. I believe the Father said to the Son, They will so overwhelm you that you'll be lost from my loving grip. And the Father will command his angels. And Jesus will step on the lion and the cobra, the great serpent, Satan. And Jesus will call on the Father. And I know this, the psalm also talks about us as well, so we have got to be careful about how we go through that. The Father and the Son are, are equal. They, they, there's one God. but It's like the Son calls to the Father, and the Father has rescued him. Why is that important for you and me? It's because Jesus did that on our behalf. The fact that the psalm can be written to us is because of the fact that Jesus... Is raised from the dead and lived this perfect life. And this promise that is made to us in Psalm 91, that you will never ultimately be overcome by life, that you will be snatched out of God's hand, that no one will be able to rescue you, becomes untrue. God has you in his loving grip because of Jesus. Jesus accomplished all of the promises in this psalm on our behalf. And so the Father grabs a hold of you, both in the present, both in principle, and in the future. He will do it for you. So Jesus Christ, my friends, sings the song over you this morning. It's a song of confidence on your behalf, it's a song of thanksgiving. He's the one who's trampled this cobra. He's the one who's overcome sickness and death and sin on our behalf so that the Father can shower this type of love on us and that we can love God in return and not be ashamed of loving him. He will answer us when we call on him and he will promise us a long life with him one day in eternity in heaven. I have this final picture to put up which just always reminds me of where these psalms are taking us. This is a picture I took up in far north Queensland, up at Wonga Beach. And it's just this, this, this idea of paradise, right? That's what paradise looks like to me. And just this, the, there was a coconut on the beach, right? And the sense that there's this newness of life. One day God will recreate all of the, what we see in front of us. This psalm is a restoration promise as well, of when we will walk with God and everything will be perfect again. Every tear will be wiped. Every ache will be healed. And we will be with God and He will be with us. And we will love Him and love, He will love us and we will see Him face to face. It's like the Father is calling out to us in the psalm and saying, wait for it. It's coming. Wait for it. But be prepared for it. So as we close this morning, friends, I want to challenge you with three things. Number one, are you in the family of God? Simply. Simply. Have you received this extravagant grace for you in Jesus Christ? Have you truly made that decision to say, I believe in what Jesus has done on the cross for me, and to ask him to forgive you of your sin and to receive that eternal life that God has promised you? Are you in his family? Some of you sitting here are not. I know that without a shadow of a doubt, when you talk to a group like this, I know some of you are not. I don't know you by name, but I know some of you are not. Secondly, for where you're at, in what way do you need to lean into Jesus today? When he said, abide in me, when he said, take my yoke upon you, in what way do you need to lean into him? And then thirdly, let me encourage you to reflect on what you've come to know about God this year. What name has become important to you? For me, it is God is my banner. I try to find in the Bible that let God drive the car, but I couldn't quite find that name. God is my banner. God will do it on my behalf. What name is important to you? And then more importantly, what will you do with that? Right now, this week, this year. Because if he has come to you and taught you something about himself, he wants you to respond. Father, we thank you that through the Holy Spirit you are here this morning. And I don't know where this message has landed for people, but you do. You call us by name, you know our name, and you've been teaching us about yourself, individually, in our families, in our church, in our work. Would you bring that name to mind, I pray, Holy Spirit. Would you prompt each person here with what the Father is wanting to teach them? May the work of Jesus Christ be applied to each of our hearts in such a unique way. that we come away with the realization we have encountered the living God this morning. Might we be changed and transformed and made new? given hope and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, may our lives reflect Jesus Christ. As we take on your yoke, Lord Jesus, might your power of the Holy Spirit change us, restore us, renew us. I ask you for the sake of your church, in Jesus' name.